Chapter Two of Mad Barbara by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. Listen. She touched his shoulder suddenly, and their eyes met in a questioning stare, the eyes of two people who have some secret to be guarded. I heard someone in the gallery. A coach stopped in the yard two minutes ago. It is Barbara come home. The girl moves about like a ghost. They drew aside from each other. My lord, bland, buxom, imposing, in periwig, and black coat broidered with gold. My lady, plump, luscious, yet a little furtive about the eyes, her flowered gown in green and blue pleated into a hundred folds over her camlet petticoat. She wore her dark hair low upon her neck, with a rose over the left ear, and a mass of exquisite lace upon her bosom. Lord Stephen Gore cleared his throat, and began speaking with discreet distinctness on some wholly impersonal topic. The pair were decorously distant when the door of the great parlour opened, the man standing at the window as though watching the people passing in the street beneath, the woman seated almost primly in a high-backed chair, a book in her lap, mild apathy upon her face. My lord at the window turned on his heel abruptly, as though he had just become aware of the presence of a third person in the room. He was a man of poise, of genial aplomb, one of those complacent gods who are never out of countenance or at a loss for a trick of the tongue. The girl's eyes seemed to sweep from one to the other with a momentary gleam of distrust. She still wore her mourning, a gown of plain black velvet with a circle of lace at the throat. The expression on her face was one of tired nonchalance, but for that evanescent gleam of the eye she might have passed as a bloodless and languid girl whose vitality lacked the stimulus of perfect health. My lord met her with a bow that expressed unnecessary condescension. He had reached an age where it is possible to be fatherly and even officious in a frank, twinkling, stately fashion. "'And how is my Persephone?' still in the pensive droops, and yet Mr. Herrick preaches the gathering of roses. He put forward a chair for her with the tolerance of an amiable gentleman of the world. She took it without thanking him, her cold, colourless face masking an instinctive repulsion, an impatience that his urbanity seemed fated to inspire. The lord and the lady exchanged glances. It was as though the girl had brought a frost with her into the midst of June. Her silence and her almost sullen apathy embarrassed them. It was like being in the presence of a statue that had eyes and ears, but no tongue. Anne Purcell clapped her book, too, and jerked it aside onto an oak table. "'Where did you drive? In the park?' "'Drive?' "'Good lack, girl! Are you torpid? I could swear you have not noticed the colour of a gown or the set of a hat. One might as well send out a mummy.' She glanced unconcernedly at the buckles on my lord's shoes. "'The park? Yes. A great business there to see, and to be seen. Enough dust to stifle one, and too many people.' The words were the perfunctory words of one who would rather have remained silent. Her face seemed vacant and expressionless. My lord drew in a deep breath through his nostrils, and regarded her with philosophic pity. 
holy gemini dust and ashes at two-and-twenty he nodded his head benignantly yet with a cynical curving of the mouth while the plump well-complexioned mother studied her bantling with irritable contempt there was some inherent antipathy between these two their attitude was one of vague distrust as though the sun and the moon found themselves in miraculous juxtaposition at midday you had better go to bed girl you look tired enough she met her mother's hard inquisitive stare and seemed to stiffen at it with a sensitive hatred of being watched no i am not tired fiddlesticks my lord held up a bland white hand ruffled in mechlin immaculate to the fingertips let her alone anne these feather moods need a south wind his lofty compunction repelled her more than her mother's brusque contempt the atmosphere of the room seemed overburdened with a sensuous flavour the very roses suggested a rank and vivid worldliness a fulsomeness of the flesh gotten of meat and wine she rose pushing back her chair with a languid drooping of the lids tell jael to have supper sent to my room shall you be late to-night her face was turned toward her mother as though the gentleman in the periwig were a mere negligible shadow go to bed child and don't trouble your head about healthy people nell is at the king's to-night i wish you could catch some of the wench's devil oh the dreary lame woman i have seen her at her window in her night-dress shouting at moll davis in the next house she looks something of a drab with her hair done up in papers do the candles make such a difference she looked listlessly over her shoulder at my lord her lassitude giving her an air of tired vacuity and the smile he gave her might have been the smile he would have given to a credulous child we are all moths coz when the candles are lit which is a riddle that you need not be bothered with her going relieved the two worldlings from an uncongenial feeling of oppression and yet some uneasiness of spirit remained to trouble both miss barbara had chilled the room for them with her wraith-like and sinister sickliness the sleek self-content of the well-fed animal had been disturbed by impressions and by thoughts that neither cared to analyse my lord of gore stood at the window stroking his periwig with some such dissatisfaction on his face as he might have betrayed at the first hint that he was growing old the girl looks ill madam made a mouet oh that is nothing she is always the colour of sour cream lord but i think i hate the child she drags things into my mind that make me miserable the angles of the man's mouth twitched slightly by the plague nan why let yourself be overshadowed why indeed we might understand that you and i he turned to her sharply with a gleam of impatience in his eyes why not be rid of the little blight yes no doubt and how are you ingenious enough to suggest a method get her married lord and who would have her she is something of a bargain immovables there are plenty of debtors and fools the persuading would lie elsewhere the girl has a sort of sullen stubbornness that is worse than temper stephen gore shook his periwig with the action of an impatient horse shaking its mane i suppose these mopes were put on with her mourning the girl wants the merry devil in her rousing jove nan but she's your child there must be blood somewhere 
Anne Purcell picked up a fan, spread it with an impatient whisk of the hand, and glanced uneasily at the closed door. She started up brusquely, crossed the room, flung the door open suddenly, and looked down the long gallery as though to prove that they were not being spied upon. Then she returned to her tapestried chair. "'Well, have you any plan?' My lord licked his upper lip, a sly smile spreading over his healthy face. "'Will she go out with you?' "'Sometimes, to the old dull houses where they wear starched aprons "'and have the servants into prayers. "'And judge of godliness by the length of the jowl, poor people. "'No, that is not the elixir, the juice of crab-apples. "'Take her to the Mancini, that witch who turns dross into sunshine. "'The woman would wake the merry devil in a Quaker. "'She has old Rowley kissing her very slippers.' "'Hortense?' "'Who else, Nan? It is life, blood, mischief that the girl needs.' My lady's eyes flashed up at him, mistrustfully for the moment. He caught the look and the significance thereof, and laughed. "'Oh, she is not my fortune, Nan. I am too old and moth for that candle. The woman is like a conduit of red wine let loose in the garden of White Hall. She makes all but the abstemious drunk. And the marvel is, that she is just as magical with women is hortense ask my lord sussex how he likes the transfiguration of his wife castlemaine's stupid brat little wayface all turned into dimples roguery and mischief she twinkles round the mancini like like a little mercury with feathers at her heels i will speak with hortense she has some sort of sisterly goodwill to me and a kind of pride in making sulky people merry. She'll set the girl's blood spinning, or I'm a fool. Anne Purcell leaned back in her chair as though tired. Anything to get rid of that sour face. But it's her mawkishness, her squeamy, pray with me or I shall die, look, that makes me doubtful. The gentleman nodded understandingly. Leave that to Hortense. The Italian has a veneer of softness. She is not like a Nell Gwynne. It is a question of subtleties. Nell would swear the girl into a fit in three minutes. The Mancini has a trick of seeming a saint, when necessary. If the Italian makes no romp out of her, then I will dub her nothing but a petticoated hamlet. My lady stretched her arms with a gesture of impatient ennui. Well, we can try. Let us forget the ghost to-night. I feel I must laugh, or I shall have wrinkles round my mouth. "'Nell shall do that for you. You will come in my coach. "'And the proprieties?' "'He laughed with the true sardonic gaiety of the restoration. "'Sister Kate shall see to them. "'Though she is stone-deaf, she likes to see the dresses and the candles. "'There is one mistake that Mr. Milton made "'in that he did not tell us that the devil is deaf in one ear.'" End of chapter 2